Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this story that made its way around social media. And I love coffee, and this story just happened to be about coffee. It's a parable with coffee in it. And so I'd like to share that coffee story with you a little bit. So this is how the story goes. You are holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and bumps into you or shakes your arm, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Why did you spill the coffee? You might say, well, because someone bumped into me, of course. Wrong answer. You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in your cup. If there was tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. Whatever is inside the cup is what spilled out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. So we have to ask ourselves, what's in my cup? When life gets tough, what spills over? So that's the, the story. So here's, uh, here's the reality. 2020 bumped into every single one of us in various ways. For some of us, 2020 bumped into us hard multiple times like it was relentless towards us now now many of us experienced the bumps of 2020 in very general ways like everybody else did but I know that there are a lot of us who experienced 2020 in very very personal ways as well like 2020 just kept bumping up against us and so here's my question what spilled over in 2020 what spilled out of you in 2020. There's no promise that we will prevent the bumps that come against us. The question is, what is going to spill out of you when life gets bumpy? Did 2020 reveal the Holy Spirit's work in you? Did it show you loving your God and loving your neighbor? Did, you carry, did it have you carrying abundant life to others? Did it have you carrying the aroma of Christ to other people? Did it lead your heart to dwell more with Jesus, or did it have you scrambling around trying to make a bunch of anxious people happy? Did it cause you stress trying to control things that were outside of your control? Did it well up anxiety within you? Did it create excuse for apathy for you? Did it cause you to have a heart that saw your neighbor who thinks differently than you did as an enemy rather than a person who bears the image of God? You know, the way I just ask that question, what spilled over? Now, the way that I framed this question and the way that I've even set this up is probably like you are preparing now for me to pile on the guilt because you've sat in church before and you know how this works, right? Like you are ready for me to kind of pile this on. You're probably even tempted to shut down or stop listening because I've named a bunch of maybe uh, less than ideal things that you have done, uh, some things that you aspire to be but fail to be, maybe you feel like that. And so uh, you're expecting me to say, you know, shape up, try harder, do better. Like that's how you're experiencing this moment. And I want you to, to encourage you if you're in that, like if you're tempted to shut down based on what I just said, I want to encourage you to stick with me. Because if I'm being honest, I'm probably a little bit in both categories. Like 
I have seen God do things in and through me this year that I was like, well, I didn't know you could do that. I was like, really, really cool to see, really pleased with that. And I have seen brokenness fall out of me and leak onto the people who inhabit my space and uh, onto the things that I'm touching because 2020 also bumped that bad stuff out of me a little bit, right? So, so we're coming at this from kind of the same direction where we're trying to see what's inside of us and what's spilling out. And there are a lot of churches and pastors today, this day, on January, today's the third. I said the fourth in my email. Sorry about that. It's the third today, January 3rd. This day, pastors and churches all across the world and particularly across the United States are gonna tell you, they're gonna try to tell you 2021 will be a year with better circumstances for you. I give you a promise from God. 2021 is gonna be a year with better circumstances for you. The, the circumstances are gonna get better and better. And so, uh, so maybe that's what you are inclined to think. Like if you just believe and have faith, God can't possibly give you a year that was worse than 2020. And church, I think it's of vital importance that we know today we have no promise nor has the voice of God spoken with clarity to say that 2021 will be better in terms of its circumstances than 2020 is. We have no promise like that. But there is a promise that we do have, that Jesus spoke with clarity about 2,000 years ago. In John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, In verse 37, uh, we read that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is here on this feast day, this uh, Jewish celebration, and he sees all of his countrymen gathered around them, and he is spending this time in this group of people, and he has divine perception of hearts. He sees with clarity the desperation that is inside of these people. He sees the way that they're, they're interacting with each, each other. He, he sees what is truly inside of them. He sees what makes them up. He sees brokenness leaking out of them. He, he sees their uh, just commitment to hold on to control. He sees their anxiety. He sees every single way that they fall short. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't stand up and say, what are you doing? Try harder, get your act together, do better. He doesn't do that. But in this moment where he is witnessing all of this brokenness, these people, he sees their hearts. He does stand up and he cries out over that group of people. He stands up and he gets their attention. It says he stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. Church, I don't come trying to manipulate you with like some sort of prophecy that the circumstances of 2021 will be somehow better than the last year, I come to you with Jesus' promise that he can change what's in the cup. So with that being said, let us pray.
Lord, how I long to see myself be the kind of person whom when I walk into my spaces, into my spheres of influence, into the places you've called me to be and live and carry out your will, when I walk into those places that out of me, torrents of living water would just fall onto those who surround me. God, and I long that for the people of Alliance Bible Church as well. Lord, I, I do actually, I hope that the circumstances of 2021 are better but not to the neglect of us becoming the kind of people who in the midst of hardship and challenges and bumps along the way and even suffering for many of us would become people who spill out rivers of living water wherever we go. That's my heart this morning. And so, um, Lord, don't let us leave the same way we came here. Whether we're here physically or whether we've come online, we're joining together as your body and we're saying here in this moment where we are exalting your name, we're singing to you, we're hearing your word and we're seeking what you want for us. Lord, let us not leave this moment without your spirit changing us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you've all known me for a little bit, and you've probably heard me talk at one point or another about my love for singing barbershop music. I've talked about that a little bit. Uh, It's kind of this weird thing that I do where I sing with a group of three other guys, and uh, we make music, we sing harmonies, and you probably have in your head some idea of what I look like and the things that I do in a barbershop quartet, because you have all of these cultural stereotypes attached to barbershop. You might imagine me with a straw hat, or perhaps uh, a striped vest with a garter on my arm, right? Like, that's the picture that you have, and I need you to eliminate that picture from your mind because that is not actually what we look like. However, my wife would probably tell you that the things that we wear in my barbershop quartet are still questionable. But, uh, but anyway, that's all to say, uh, this thing that I do with barbershop, it, it's really exciting. Uh, one, I, I get together with this group of guys and we actually, we would go to singing competitions. And at singing competitions, what happens is you sing in front of a panel of judges and they evaluate you. And then at the end of the evaluation, you actually get to go in and these judges coach you and help you sing better. The, the concept being that at every contest, every single quartet, no matter where they are in their progression, get these uh, coaches who would help coach the development of the voice. And it's based on this essential baseline philosophy that every voice has potential. Like even the worst quartets are there, they have potential to be better than they currently are. There's something better that they can be, but in order to become that, you need intentional care and guidance of the voice. So like the best vocalists who are out there, they don't become the best vocalists by just like sitting there and having natural talent. Even those with the best natural talent have worked hours and hours and hours caring for and guiding their voice and having people help them intentionally form their voice to where it needs to go. Most, by, for what it's worth, most people by and large have not invested this kind of time. And if you don't invest this kind of time, what happens is like when you sing, it's really, really easy to develop bad singing habits. 
right? Like you have haphazard growth of your voice and, and your voice develops, but it develops away from its full potential. And that's why these coaches exist. They come along, they help us as singers. When we would go to these competitions, they say, hey, this is how you need to kind of direct your voice. This is how you need to direct your singing. And it's all based on this idea that every voice has great potential to sound amazing. And you're like, huh, really? Me? Me? No, every voice has great potential. Even you, Garth, every voice has great potential to sound amazing. But that potential can't be realized without intentionally guiding the development of the voice. And the same principle holds true for the Christian life. Like we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. The amount of potential for amazing, holy, world-changing things to happen in and through us is incredible. But you don't get there by accident. You don't get there by accident. So our strategy here at Alliance Bible Church is this. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. And and in that strategy, this is how we do what the Lord calls us to do. In that strategy is the word develop, which means implied in even how we operate is is the, the concept that we don't just get there by accident, but we as individuals, we as Jesus followers, people who have trusted in Jesus, we get where we are going. This church becomes what it is meant to be through us following a path of development, a path of growth with the Lord. One significant piece of what we are about here at this church is Christian development. And development implies that just like the voice has this kind of highest potential, this goal that you want to work toward, and each time you're kind of chipping away at another piece of that goal, so too the Christian life has a particular goal that you are working towards. And that's what we're talking about today in Philippians chapter 3. So that's where we are. And uh, as we get into Philippians chapter 3, particularly in verse 12, that's where we're starting. Paul has just talked about the amazing worth of Jesus. Like how much Jesus is worth to him. And in addition to that, he's talking about the Christian life in light of the amazing worth of Jesus. And he has this kind of ideal of Christian maturity in his mind. He has this ideal of what a Christian should become. And this is what he writes in Philippians 3, chapter 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So so to better understand this, when you see the word perfect here, we get very intimidated by that word. We get the, uh, the, the idea that it's like without flaw. But the Greek word, and later on even in this passage, he uses the word maturity, and perfect and maturity come from the same Greek word. That Greek word is teleos. And teleos gives, carries with it this idea of reaching a goal, becoming complete, becoming mature. That's what it carries with it. And so when he says, not that I am already perfect, what he's saying is, I've not reached the goal. I've not become everything that I know I could become in Christ. I am still on my way. I am still growing. I am still heading towards maturity. And Paul's idea of maturity, he's thinking of it as there's a goal that I have to arrive at. And what he does is he presents his own maturity 
to us as an example. He talks about his own maturity to us to help us understand what this pathway of Christian development looks like, to help us understand what it would look like for us to become the kind of people through whom rivers of living water would flow onto others. So as we engage Paul's reflections on his own maturity this morning, we're gonna be confronted with a couple of questions that we have to answer for ourselves. The first question is this. Am I really mature? Am I really mature? Verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect or mature, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own. So when he says this, uh, he's First of all, he's forcing us to consider what he's already said, uh, but then he also relates it to this idea of maturity or perfection that he writes down here. So, so in order to understand what he means when he says, not that I have already obtained this, and if this is maturity, then we actually, like, we get some idea of what he means by maturity in the previous verses. So, so we're going to look back just a little bit at, at verses 7 through 10 of Philippians chapter 3. And this is what it says there. To, to sum it up, I don't read the whole thing here, but, but I'll read bits and pieces of it so we get the idea of what he means by maturity. In verses 7 through 10, it says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And then in verse 10, what he does is he repeats the very same concepts that he just said in verses eight and nine. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So when Paul he's giving us this idea of Christian maturity. What he's talking about is really two things. He's talking about knowing Christ and suffering well. Maturity is knowing Christ and suffering well. So let's talk about each of those. First of all, knowing Christ. So here's a a little bit of a scary idea, and that idea is this. You can know about Jesus and not actually know Jesus. You can get a lot of information about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished and you can be convinced even that those things are true and real and never actually get to know the one who caused them to happen, right? So, so that's something we need to be aware of. So I want to look at the story of Zacchaeus because in the story of Zacchaeus, we see surrounding Zacchaeus a bunch of people who knew about Jesus, but then we see in Zacchaeus this desire to actually know. Jesus. So, so Zacchaeus, he goes up in this tree. He has heard about the miracles of Jesus. He has heard about the amazing thing that he has done. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector, meaning he is despised in his culture. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants him around. Uh, he takes more than he should from people. He is kind of seen as the lowest of the low. And Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree and he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. And uh, 
And we don't actually know what their conversation consisted of, but what we do know is that to to eat a meal in Jewish culture was to be incredibly intimate with another person, to share a meal with them. It was to spend time with them. And in this moment, Zacchaeus, he, he gets to know Jesus. He gets to know him so much that his life and the trajectory of his life does a complete 180 from what we had previously seen. So that when he comes out of this meeting, this intimate moment with Jesus, he comes out and he undoes all of the, the, the wrong things that he previously did fourfold. He says, I'm going to give back four times the money that I took unjustly, right? And, and he comes out and he has this kind of trajectory change in his life, but it comes from this moment where he knows Jesus, the, the knowing of Christ, not just knowing about him, not just trying to fool him, not just trying to understand what he was saying, but actually knowing who Jesus was moved Zacchaeus to be one of those people through whom rivers of living water would flow out. So, so that's knowing Christ. Uh, and with that, the, the concept is that the more that I seek after Jesus, the more that I seek to be with Jesus, the more that I not just understand who Jesus is, but I desire to have his heart for the world around me, the more that I am changed. Okay, so let's talk about suffering well. Uh, the general expectation in the New Testament is that we would be those who suffer. Like if you are a Christian, it's pretty much guaranteed that you will suffer. You will be, people will see you as an enemy. People will see you as uh, one who, when you stick to the truths about Jesus, it will be offensive to the world around you. And some people, that would even move them to persecute Christians. That would even move them to kill Christians. That's the general expectation in the New Testament. And what's really interesting is Paul's perspective on suffering. He is not one who would run from that suffering. But he's actually like, weirdly enough, excited about the possibility of it. Like, not that he seeks to make suffering happen to himself. But that when he knows that standing for Christ will cause him to suffer... he's actually kind of thrilled about the idea, like in the way that he writes about it. There's something exciting in him about that. Now, uh, why could that be? Why could Paul possibly be excited about suffering? Because suffering is not fun. Like, uh, we we don't know the kind of suffering that Paul faced because we don't have to experience persecution at the same level that he did in his culture. The social ostracism, you know, it might be increasing in this day, but it is nothing like it was then and yet he looks at even that kind of suffering and and he says yeah this is a good thing this is a thing that i would strive for this is a thing that i want to see because he knows something he knows that knowing christ is of highest value and as a result if i know christ in the midst of my suffering then what i get to do is put christ on display and put the effectiveness of faith in christ on display in the middle of suffering like the, the grit of Christian faith is clarified in the middle of suffering. It, it's crystallized. It's put on display in front of people. If you see, so, so 
in the middle of 2020. 2020 is nothing like the suffering that most human beings have faced throughout history. Nonetheless, most Christians faced, especially in the early part of the church, and most Christians around the world are still facing today. Like the, the, the experience of 2020. Now, I don't want to minimize what we went through in 2020, but let's just talk about it because it is, if, if it's not been the case historically for the whole world, it is true for us that 2020 has been one of the hardest years that many of us have ever faced. And if that's true, like what is spilling out of us? Like are we really mature? What, what is 2020 creating? Because it seems like Paul says that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of the things that we face, in the midst of pain, there is this huge opportunity for the grit of our faith to be put on display. That, that faith in Jesus could actually be shown to be made of something. That the, the, the crucified and risen Jesus, the one who gives us his Holy Spirit, that it could actually be something that sustains us even when the circumstances of our life are far less than ideal, far less than what we would want them to be. And COVID has created that reality for many of us. And so, so as we consider this question, am I really mature and we we look back at verse 12 and we just consider what he has to say paul actually talks about it and he says i'm not there yet how like how encouraging is this because paul the people that paul arranging everybody looks at paul as kind of this ideal of maturity and paul says i haven't gotten there yet i've not arrived I've not achieved this. And so this simultaneously does two things. And number one, it empathizes with those who, while he's writing, go, gosh, that's not where I am. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not striving to know Christ every day. I'm not suffering well in the midst of everything. I could do better, and I see how he's doing, and I'm not quite there. And then Paul says, no, I'm not even there. So it empathizes with those who, who sense that they fall short, but then it also calls out those who think that they've arrived. You know, those who look at the people around them and feel generally satisfied with the level of Christian maturity that they have achieved. Because no matter what level of Christian maturity you've achieved, you look at Paul, who completely changes around his life, who gives up everything, who travels from town to town to town, who doesn't really have a home, who's planting churches, who's preaching the gospel consistently, who's being thrown in prison all the time. No matter what level of Christian maturity you have, you look at Paul and you got to think, well, there's something better to attain there, right? So, So it simultaneously empathizes with those who think they fall short, but it also calls it out those who thinks think that they've arrived. So this morning, like some of us, as we look at the past year, and even as we consider, like, are we really happy with what came out of us? What good came out of us? So some of you hear this idea of maturity and perfection, and you recognize that you're not there. And some of you haven't even considered the idea because, uh, quite frankly, you've just been really comfortable and satisfied with where you are on your path of growth. And to both groups of people, this is what Paul says. He says, seek Christ, suffer well, and you will grow. None of you are there yet, so seek Christ, suffer well, and you will grow. 
So the second uh, question that Paul's example presents us with is this. What keeps me from maturity? Like if we are evaluating and we're recognizing that none of us have actually arrived at the ideal level of maturity, then, then the question that we have to ask is what is keeping us from maturity? He talks about those things in verses 13 through 16, and I'm just gonna read that whole chunk and then we'll take it apart piece by piece. Verse 13 says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So really what he does is he, he addresses three concerns here. Three things that he recognizes these things will keep him from maturity. The first one that he addresses is my focus on the past. His focus on the past. He talks about it. He says, hey, I'm forgetting what was behind me and I'm moving forward to what was ahead because I recognize that if I dwell too long on what has already passed, then I won't become what the Lord wants me to become. So like, there are things in our past that we could focus on. Maybe you want to focus on how much you have failed. I can't tell you the number of people who get the strong sense, oh, I've not, I, I've dropped the ball here. I've not become what I needed to be here. I've not, like, the, the longer we spend time focusing on that, this, we get this sense that oh, we're inadequate. Well, the whole point is that we're inadequate. Like, we don't have what we need. We, so, so, so we forget what lies behind. Like, you get tired of trying. You get tired of trying because you're so overwhelmed by all of the failures that you see in the past. And what he's saying is, don't even think about that. Like, yeah, you failed. Okay, great. Like, Christ died for your sins. Like, it's, it is sufficient to cover every single sin. So forget what lies behind and start moving forward. He says, so forgetting what lies behind. Or there are some people who, you know, again, we take these two groups of people, people who feel like they're not quite there and people who feel very satisfied with where they are. And there are some people who would think, oh, like, look at how far I've come. Look at what I have been able to accomplish. Look at all of the, the list of things. I could stop right now and be good enough. And what's interesting is that Paul doesn't say, I could stop right now and be good enough, but he says, I am still striving for maturity. So I think of like a rear view mirror. Um, in your car, you have a rear view mirror. And uh, so when I, when I have to purchase a new car, the first thing that I think about is the rear view mirror. That's very strange, I know, but go with me for a second. Um, when I sit in a car, I am a tall guy. And my head is near the ceiling of the car when I sit in the car. And the rear view mirror can sometimes be particularly low in the windshield from my perspective. And if you're sitting where I'm sitting, that rear view mirror will actually prevent you from seeing other cars, other things on the road, things that you need to be aware of. So one of the first things I think about is the rear view mirror and make sure, can this thing go up far enough? Because if it's right in the middle of the windshield, uh, if that rear view mirror took up your whole windshield, well, you'd be really good at seeing what you've already passed, but you wouldn't be any good on actually moving forward anywhere. 
right? So, so that's the rearview mirror. So uh, I took a class on addiction counseling when I was in seminary, and one of the things that they reiterate is this concept of a day-by-day perspective. Because if you get focused on all the failures of your addiction and everything that is caused for you, everything that is, it has broken in your life, then it's really tempted to get overwhelmed and say, there's no way I can overcome that. Actually, it, the whole point of this day-by-day perspective that they deal with is that you actually can't control any of that stuff that happened back then. You could have controlled it, but you can't control it now. What you can control right now is what you do from this point forward right? And, and you actually can't even like control what will happen tomorrow and what will happen the next day, but you can control the next step that you take today, right? So forgetting what lies behind, I strive forward to what lies ahead. The second concern that he addresses, and we're actually going to skip ahead to verse 15, he addresses my standard of comparison, so let those of us who, who are mature think this way. So Paul said, I have not arrived. But let those of you who think you have arrived think the same way that I'm thinking. Right, so, so he looks at those who, let those who think they are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, you know what? God's gonna show you. Like, you'll figure it out someday. Like, God will let you know. My, but he says, my standard of comparison, because those who are mature and those who are immature alike, uh, you have this tendency to look at the people around you and compare yourself to the people around you. And, and the interesting thing is that when, like, God evaluates us, he doesn't compare us to the people around us. Around, uh, he compares us to his standard, right? And Christ makes up what is lacking, which is a lot, by the way, right? So, so instead of, like, th- there are people in this church who, if you were inclined to, to base how well you were doing off of your evaluation of everybody else, you might feel like, oh man, I'm doing pretty well. I am feeling like I am pretty ahead of these people. And so I guess I don't need to try much harder. I guess I can be stuck where I am. And the whole point is that even if you think you are that way, there is a greater standard for you yet to strive for. So uh, then the last, the last concern that he addresses that can keep us from maturity is what I value. So in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Mind you, in the previous verses, before verse 12, he called everything else that he has achieved, which significant list of achievements Like, let's be real. The things that he had achieved before Jesus showed up in his life, like most of us would be amazed if we could ever accomplish those things. And he calls them rubbish in comparison to the prize of having Christ. Right, so so some of you, when you're considering what maturity looks like for you, you are afraid of stepping into that thing because there is something that you value more that Jesus is going to call you away from and you recognize it. 
right? Some, like some of us are afraid of what Jesus will call us away from. That, that, uh, and the whole point is the reason Paul is striving for the goal and the reason he can say he can put all else aside and strive for that goal is because he recognizes the highest value for me is getting Jesus. Like Jesus is the most important. So, so like, you know, you recognize Jesus might call you to stop entertaining sin the way that you are. Jesus might call you to give up some kind of convenience in your life. Jesus might actually call all of us to do something like crazy, like take up your cross and follow me. Jesus might call us to sell everything and give to the poor. And the question is, are we scared of any of that? Because the encouragement is to value Jesus so much more than everything that we could say everything else might be rubbish. Now, are we there yet? Well, no, but the point is maturity, right? We take the next step, and we take the next step. Seek Christ, suffer well, and you will grow. So think of, my, like, think of what you might lose when Jesus calls you into something. Like Maybe integrity would cause you to have strife in a relationship with another person, and you might actually like, lose that relationship because you are committed to integrity, right? Because you know Jesus is calling you to integrity, You know, knowing Jesus is worth whatever you would lose in light of holding true to his word. Maybe maybe you'd like lose money or maybe Jesus would call you to give more of your money away. Knowing Jesus more, striving to to go in a deeper relationship with Jesus and understand his heart of generosity, knowing Jesus more is worth it, whatever you might lose. Maybe there's some standard of comfort that, that you're afraid that Jesus would call you to give up and tell you like whatever Jesus calls you to give up knowing Jesus knowing Jesus more deeply understanding his heart getting his heart inside of you is worth whatever he might call you to give up knowing Jesus makes every possible loss that could come our way worth it because what we get is a closer walk with Jesus so how can I trust so you so you say okay so yes Value, like what I value will keep me from pursuing Jesus fully, stepping into the next step of growth. I I get all that. But you might ask the question, how can I trust? And you might be afraid to ask this question out loud, but it is the question that underlies the surface and stops us from actually moving forward. How can I trust that knowing Jesus more is of greater value than whatever I would give up? He gives us the answer in verse 12, the very beginning of the passage. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but here is why I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. He took this broken sinner and he didn't require us to become anything before he offered us God's acceptance. He extended us the hand of fellowship. He called us his own. He makes us his own sheep. And, and on top of that, with all of our failures, like every, we get this sense that, okay, now, yeah, I failed yesterday, so Jesus is probably really disappointed with me and not, like, not excited about having me in his fold. And he, like, he made me his own, sure, but I'm not, like, really making up uh, what I'm worth here, right? I'm not meeting my value. The whole point is that we don't do the work. He makes us his own. He does all of it for us. He accomplishes this work on our behalf. And, and on top of that, in the moments when we do fail, the crazy thing is, 
Like the book of Hebrews talks about all of these active things that Jesus is doing right now, like while we are still falling short, like praying for us to the Father, interceding for us that we might still have a place of joyful acceptance with the Father. Like uh, talking to God, advocating on our behalf, showing that his blood is good enough to make us righteous. We get all of that. He's giving us these amazing gifts that no matter what we have done, there's nothing that can outweigh the price of his blood. And so he extends to us this hand of fellowship. He makes us his own. So how can we trust that knowing Christ and suffering for his sake is actually like worth it? Well, because he did everything. He gave up everything that we might become his own. That's the gift that we have. That's the, the truth that we have. That's the promise that we have. Okay, so, so what? What do we do with all of this? Number one, we are developing creatures. So uh, uh, some time ago, there's the song written, we all have to serve somebody. It might be the devil and it might be the Lord, but we all have to serve somebody. Okay, so that concept, take that concept and, and just apply it to the idea that we all have to grow somewhere. Like you, there's never a moment when you are simply stagnant because if you are stagnant, then you are moving away from where you're supposed to be, Right? So, so we all have to grow in a certain direction. So if you don't take, what this means is that if we don't take ownership of our development, then something or someone else will take ownership of our development and form us into a different path. So with that being said, I simply want to ask a question, and it's a question that we should be processing on a daily basis. What is your next step? Like maybe what you want to become as the kind of person who would joyfully and excitedly share the gospel with your neighbors all the time. Like maybe you see that as something that you would want to become. You know how you're going to start to get there? Well, you start with preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. And then uh, you move to, you know, dwelling daily in prayer on this great love that Christ has for you, that he calls you his child. That, that you get this relationship with the one who is at the center of all of the good news. And you, you daily thank God. You well up in thankfulness over that. And if you, if you don't have the feeling of thankfulness, then you work to be thankful. You work to state your thankfulness until your heart is in that place and you do it daily. And then you know what you do? You, like, you, read, you take another step and you read the word and you, you learn to love what the, the word shows you about the character of this God who has worked to save you. You daily spend time with Jesus. You take several next steps. And, and then when you get to your neighbor, you know what? You have this, this heart that is overflowing with rivers of living water because you have drawn close to your Savior. So then no matter what you might lose in terms of your relationship status with this person, in terms of uh, you know, your social equity, whatever you might lose, it's worth it. Because you know Jesus, you know how much he loves you, and, and it wells up out of you into to sharing the gospel with other people. So, so if there's this ideal that you want to become, if you focus too long on, oh, that's so far away, I could never get that, to get there takes many small steps in order to become that. So what's your next step? And then number two, 
we have the potential to build a legacy. When I say we, I don't mean we as individuals, but I actually mean we as a church. We have the potential to build a legacy. At Alliance Bible Church, we develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. Which means whatever this church will become, the effectiveness of this church is entirely based on how well we do that developing part. And yes, like we are a corporate group of people, but we are a corporate group of people like made up of individuals who all have ownership of their own development. And and so if you choose not to step forward into that path of growth, it just, it impacts what we can become. But if you actually choose to step forward, if you choose to take that next step, if you choose to prioritize your own development, that you would see rivers of living water pour out of you, that you would see Jesus bring life-giving abundance out of your life, then what could that mean for what Alliance Bible Church becomes in our community? What could that mean for the kind of reputation that we would have for Christ? What what would that mean to to making Christ's name known in Bartlett and, and making much of the name of Jesus in the middle of the Chicago suburbs? So Alliance Bible Church, my encouragement this morning is that we would press on in our development of knowing Jesus and in the middle of knowing Jesus suffering well because maybe 2021, maybe the circumstances won't be better. But if we know Jesus, if we strive to know Jesus more, then how we respond to it can be better because Jesus is worth it. So would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, it is your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, your love for us, who though we are broken sinners and though we deserve something far worse than what we got, what you offered to us was the hand of fellowship and forgiveness. That we could be called righteous and forgiven and and pure and holy and blameless in your sight. So, Lord, none of us have arrived. None of us have become fully the kind of people that you desire us to be. And there's next steps for all of us to take. So, Lord, would you just show us with clarity what our most obvious next step is? Would you give us the discipline to to do it even when we don't want to do it? Would you give us the perseverance to continue taking those next steps that we might see Christ formed in us, that we might see Jesus' life flow out of us, that rivers of living water might be what spill out of us when we hit the bumps that come our way through life. So Lord, we thank you for these promises and we ask that you would make these things happen in us by your holy spirit we pray all of this in jesus name amen